0: Good morning, my name is Angel Gomez, and this month, uh, Pastor Travis is leading us through a series on marriage expectations, and now we've had the opportunity to hear from Chris Williams and from Bill Marshall, and yes, my marriage too did not begin as expected. Now, I have not been married for as long as Chris and Bill, this year we're actually celebrating our 10th anniversary Now, that may be the reason why I remember a lot of things not going as I expected them to in the beginning. Imagine this. It's my wedding day. It's a sunny South Florida day. No lightning, no thunder, Chris. We are are as far away from the Nimbus Dam as we could be, Bill we have a family friend who's singing the most beautiful song at our ceremony. There's not a dry eye in the house. I look over at my bride. She's so beautiful. Her eyes are not wet. They are rather heavy. Yes, they're closing. I grab her. At least one person in the congregation thinks that we're embracing, because I hear a, I hear an aww. (laughs) The pastor is a very driven man. He's gonna get this done. We're we're gonna do this, (laughs) right? So we, you know, I'm holding her up. We're doing the rings. He turns us around. He says, I now pronounce you man and wife. And Brittany, with the cutest, (laughs) semi-conscious right arm, (laughs) Does one of these? Yay! <laughs> so yes, my marriage didn't start exactly how I expected to.
1: Oh, thank you, Angel. Uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, Yes, we're talking about marriage expectations. My name is Travis Bond. I serve as senior pastor here. Um, So we've been talking about marital expectations and disappointments, and most importantly, these last few weeks, we've been talking about the heart, the heart, and how that relates to the whole thing. Um, Most husbands that I know are not really into uh, greeting cards, um, but some of our wives are, so... I thought about creating my own line of heart focused, scripture inspired greeting cards. I think it's it's really going to take off, people. Um, Here's a few samples I've been working on from uh, Genesis 6. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Happy Valentine's Day! (laughs) Psalm 55, his speech was smoother than butter, but his heart was war. That one can be maybe for your wife's birthday. (laughs) Jeremiah 17, you guys know this one, right? The the heart is desperately and deceitful above. Who can know it? I think that could be excellent for maybe Mother's Day. (laughs) Matthew 15, things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and defile For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. Happy anniversary! (laughs) Okay, maybe a job with Hallmark is not in my immediate future. But understand, when the Bible speaks about the heart, it is not talking about warm feelings. It's not talking about the seat of romance. We've spent a couple weeks already on this now, that biblically, when we talk about the heart, we are talking about the causal core of personhood, the essence of who you are, the center of your being. So out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth, what? Now, if this is your first Sunday at MCC, uh, like Kathy said at the front end of the service, again, very warm welcome. Super glad you're here. It may, because this is the last week in a three-part series, it might feel a little bit like you're coming in at the end of the movie, um, You know, poking the person beside you. Who's that? You know, what did I miss? What's going on? So here's the 50-second previously on recap, week one. We said the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. If you have marriage problems, they are not caused by your marriage. If if you have marriage problems, they are not caused by your marriage. So we spent time listening to Jesus in Luke chapter 6 explain that sinful words and sinful choices are not the result of things outside of us. They're the manifestation of of that which is already inside of us. Jesus there in Luke 6, you remember he said that um, if we just try and fix the stuff outside us, it's like hanging grapes on a bramble bush. And so what you're gonna wind up with after a very brief amount of time when you do that is just rotting fruit because you haven't changed anything in the actual root. That was Jesus. Then second week, we turned our attention to the apostle Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit, who wrote in 2 Corinthians 5 um, about the endemic selfishness of the human heart. Instead of being in vertical relationship with God, instead of being in uh, right horizontal relationship with others, sin turns us in on ourselves. Selfishness turns desires into Demands. And so all of that then brings us to our final week in this little mini series. Um, we heard from Jesus on the problem of the heart. We heard from Paul on the selfishness of the heart, and now this morning we're going to hear from the Apostle Peter on the solution for the heart. So if you brought a Bible with you at this time, if you would open up to Paul's first letter, First Peter, chapter five. 1 Peter chapter 5. Um, this is page 1016 if you need to use one of the black Bibles. And as you're finding that, remember that in this little mini-series we're um, focusing not so much on the classic marriage passages. For instance, Genesis 1, Ephesians 5, Colossians 3. Uh, but we're, we're trying to figure out what is foundational to All of us, right? So whether you're a student, whether you're single, whether you're married, divorced, widowed, this stuff that we've been looking at applies everywhere. None of us, whether you're in the classroom, the workplace, the marriage, the church, none of us can wiggle away from this stuff very easily. And then, of course, we're trying to take this stuff and say, okay, how does it apply particularly in the context of marriage. So, 1 Peter 5, um, real quick, we're dropping into the text. Peter, um, in chapter 5, he's giving instructions to the elders. That's the leaders of the church. Then he turns his attention to those who are younger in the church. And then he opens it up to everybody. So if you would, drop your eyes down to verse 5. We're going to pick it up at um, about midway through the verse. 1 Peter 5, 5b and following here now the very word of the Lord. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Thus ends the reading of God's word. So what happens in marriage when we turn dreams into expectations? What happens when we carry into a marriage, maybe young, first marriage, Maybe we got married older in life, or it's a second or a third marriage. What happens when we bring into that marriage our gunny sack filled with all kinds of desires? We throw it on top of our spouse, and we turn desires, sometimes good desires, into demands. This is what happens. You begin to suffocate your marriage. You suffocate trust and intimacy and forgiveness and you establish a debt debtor relationship. When you dump on your spouse all that they owe you, all of your demands that they fulfill, it becomes I don't owe you, you owe me. I'll get what I want, just you wait and see. And now that defines for some of us years and and decades. And so you only have two options once you've done that in a marriage. Once you've built that into the DNA of your togetherness, option number one, disappointment. Because your spouse cannot possibly meet all of your expectations. Because they're flawed, broken, and sinful just like you are. Option number one is disappointment. Option number two, repentance and transformation. And certainly that's what Peter's pointing us to in this last text in our series. Um, if you want to use the outline in your bulletin, uh, it's a simple one, three verses, three truths that I think I've tried to faithfully pull right out of those verses. First truth out of verse five, God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud. If you think of the, um, the little boy at the birthday party, you've seen him, right? He's the one at the end of the table with his little bag of party favors that total like 87 cents, (laughs) and he knows it. And he's sitting there looking at his bag of party favors, and he's watching his friend at the other end of the table with the gifts, and he's opening them up, and they're awesome. (laughs) And he's looking at his favors, and he's looking at those gifts, and he's visibly, because he's a kid and he can't hide it the way grown-ups can, and he's visibly getting frustrated and angry and petulant until finally his mom, out of the corner of her eye, she sees what's happening. She goes down there to the end of the table. She squats down in front of him. She looks him in the eye, and she says, Son, it's not your party. That's kind of what verse 5 says. (laughs) If you want a marriage that's not just adequate, but it's abundant, the first thing we got to do is verse 5. we got to admit this. Husbands, it's not your party. <laughs> Wives, it's not your party. God did not make his feet to touch the earth. God did not place his spirit within you so that he could make your little kingdom work. That was never the point. God did these things. He stepped into history so he could move you out of your little kingdom into an entirely different kingdom altogether. And the doorway into that is to, quote, clothe yourselves with humility, for God opposes the proud. Clothe yourselves with humility. For God opposes the proud. Okay, so how does this begin to look in a marriage? Well, I wanted to have some fun today since it is the last one in the series. So uh, here's a little scenario that could give us something to talk about. Uh, Have you guys seen this? It is called It's Not About the Nail. Take a look.
2: It's just, there's all this pressure. I don't know what it is, and I'm not sleeping very well at all, and all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them.
0: Yeah, I, that sounds really hard.
2: <laughs> it is. Thank you. Ow!
1: Oh, come on! <gasps> if you would just- Don't! Try to see things my way. I It was worth the wait, right? (laughs) Who's right in this scenario? How many vote the wife is right? (laughs) Catherine Day voted. How many vote the man? (laughs) Okay. How many vote it might be more complicated than just who's right and who's wrong? Here's the thing. If that were real life, like 90% 90%, 90%, I'm convinced, um, of conferences and counselors and marriage books, they would approach this kind of the same way, right? What you have here is a failure to recognize, you know, women like to talk about their feelings, and men, they have a need to fix stuff, and so what we need here is we need better communication, and we need like, some active listening skills, and listen, All of that may be true. In fact, it probably is true. But the root issue in that living room is the same issue that's in your living room. Expectations, pride, and a demand that my spouse respond to me the way that I like and that my spouse give to me what I want. That's always what's at the root of it. For neither one of them. I mean, it is not about the nail. It's about the heart. Now keep in mind, in this letter, who wrote first Peter? What do we know about Peter? Mm. Well we know, Peter was he was kind of the Rachel Maddow of the Apostles. <laughs> Peter, he was like the Cam Newton of the early church, right? He always had a thought to share. He always had an opinion. Sometimes he was right. Oftentimes he was wrong. But regardless, you can be sure with Peter, he would share his opinion with absolute certainty. Peter was a prideful, arrogant man. No, no, Lord. I, I will never deny you. And then, of course, by the end of that very evening, He was a a self-centered, self-focused man. So what happened? Well, the gospel happened. Peter humbled himself before the Lord, and the Holy Spirit took up residence in his heart. Listen, if you hold on to your pride, it says in verse 5, God will work against you. Now, for those of us who are theists, and particularly those of us who are Christians, that should give us pause. That if you hold on to your pride, God will actively work against you. This is why some of our marriages are such an amazing struggle. This is why some of us find ourselves just enduring what we should otherwise be enjoying. Our self-centeredness is just the outward manifestation of our pride, something that makes us blind to our own failings while becoming hypersensitive, angry, and frustrated with our spouse's failings. Um, In the marriage book, What Did You Expect?, the author writes, Pride, arrogance, and selfishness narrow my concerns to the claustrophobic confines of my expectations my desires my wants and it's true isn't it we want all the time anywhere and everywhere I want peanut butter to be served with every meal it just should be that way I want to drive on roads that other people pay for but they never use. <laughs> I want Sarah to confess, Travis, I live for the glory that is you. <laughs> I want my kids to say, Father, we will, we will walk in the path you have marked out for us because you, Dad, are so wise. I want... I want, I want, I want, I want, I need God to stoop down in front of me, look me in the eyes, and say, son, it's not your party. Our marriages are a struggle because, verse 5, God opposes the proud. That's the bad news. And then we have verse 6, God exalts the humble. That's the good news. If you're using um, the outline, that's our second truth. God exalts the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. When we humble ourselves, it said at the, um, right at the tail end of verse uh, 5 there, there's grace for us. First-time guests ask, oh, oh, hold on, uh, Trav, hear this word all the time. What is this grace that we keep talking about here? Good question. Glad you asked. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do. That's the, that's the theological distinction. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do. In a healthy marriage, you can be sure, is going to have a healthy dollop of both of those. Because in marriage, we're not reacting to someone else's rank or authority, like it's the military or like it's um, the, the workplace. But we're choosing in a marriage to, to humble yourself it means that when there's a conflict... In what you want, in what they want, we are choosing to put the other's desires first. Not once, not twice, but we're making a lifetime pattern of living this way. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, right? How do we move from the kingdom of God? How do we move from a kingdom of self, I should say, into a kingdom of God. In the Old Testament, to humble yourself meant to declare your obedience and to announce your obedience. To declare your dependence and announce your obedience. To declare your dependence and to announce your obedience. And so, can we hit pause on this and can I ask you, have you done that with Christ? If your marriage is hurting a little bit, have you done this If your marriage is fantastic, but some friendships are hurting a little bit, have you done this? If your marriage and your friendships are good, but work's a struggle, or church is a struggle, or the the soccer field with the other parents is a struggle, have you done this? Have you declared your dependence, husbands, upon God that he would enable you to love your wife the way with that lay-down-your-life-sacrificial kind of love that Christ loves us? Have you announced your obedience, wives, to God that you will honor your husband? See, a good marriage is a good marriage because the people in that marriage make it a habit of saying no, not to each other, but to themselves. The Holy Spirit gives me divine power to say no to myself. And then we trust at the proper time, he will lift me up. So verse 6 says that at the proper time, he exalts the humble. Of course, the real trick there, at the proper time, right? (laughs) Right? Because at the proper time, I often interpret as being at my time. By the way, do you know why that is? Do you know if you struggle with waiting on things or events or people, do you know what's at the root of that? It's because you're not in charge. When you're completely running the show, you never wait, right? When you're running the show, other people wait on you. The reason, if, you, if this is a thing for you, if patience is a significant lacking in your life, the core of that is because you are not in charge and you want to be in charge and this is an opportunity to lay one more thing at the feet of Christ. It's about Pride. God opposes the proud. God exalts the humble. Last one, verse 7. God can handle your stuff. God can handle your stuff. Verse 7, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Are you hurting? Are you lonely? Are you scared? God says, I can handle your anxieties. Cast them on me. We respond, really? All of it, God? Even the stupid stuff? God says, yes, absolutely the stupid stuff. Cast all of it on me. It's all important to me because you are important to me. Worries. This means fears. This means disappointments, unmet expectations, frustrations. Just empty out the gunny sack of all that stuff and dump it at the feet of God. And then begin packing that gunny sack with something entirely different. Here's four. I wanted to offer at least. A few Um, to-dos. To-dos couched rightly can be really helpful, right? So here's four practical steps to move away from pride and to move toward humility. Number one, be in daily prayer for the health and the well-being of your marriage. So simple. Simple that we might not be doing it. Number two, encourage your spouse daily. Folks, you need to be very concerned for your marriage if there is anyone encouraging your spouse more than you are. Number three, avoid At all costs, the comparison game. Proverbs 5, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Notice it says rejoice in the wife of your youth, not the wife who looks like a youth. Never, ever compare your spouse unfavorably to another. There is nothing but death at the end of that street. And then number four, pursue all levels of intimacy. And even as I say that word intimacy and interpretation is now happening across the room, right? Because some ladies are thinking, you know, we need to start doing a better job sharing this stuff in our head. And some of those men are thinking only about rolling around in the bed. You know, throughout this series, I haven't spoken much at all about uh, physical intimacy. Partially because that's just a different sermon series that I'm not preaching right now. Uh, and partially because I have these middle school-aged daughters who I just don't think could handle hearing it from their dad in front of several hundred of their friends. Uh, so I want to <laughs> be careful with that. Um, la- you know, last week we, we were on the couch, Sarah and I. Uh, she, was, uh, she was just kind of laying down a little bit across my lap. She was kissing me. One of, the, um, one of our kids walks through the living room without breaking stride, deep sigh, shakes the head, and says, oh, you guys are so gross. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> fantastic. We're <laughs> doing something right. So I'm going to preach all of that some other day. Um, But I do want want to say this before the series is over. Uh, The true character and quality of your marriage relationship always gets carried into the marriage bed. Okay? The true character and quality of your marriage relationship always gets carried into the marriage bed. The tenderness, the creativity, the fun, the trust, or lack thereof. So if you're having challenges in there, and I'm, I'm not stupid. I know this is, it's a very complicated saying, and we all bring stuff from our past. And, but if you're having challenges in there, and I suggest that one place you begin investigating quickly is in here. Because the reality is this most of us, moving beyond just physical intimacy, we do not live our life in the big moments, right? The big moments, they happen once in a while, but we live our life in the little moments, in, in the mundane. That's where we hang out. So if God doesn't rule your life in the mundane, friend, He doesn't rule your life. <laughs> in the little conversations, in, in the little interactions. When it comes to marriage, it's in the little that the marriage, we often make it or we break it. So let me try and pull together everything we've been learning into just like a single case study. Um, this is adapted from a guy named Paul Tripp. Um, these specific marriage roles, uh, they're not going to apply for everyone, but the point does. Husband wakes up, gets ready for work, brushes his teeth, shower the whole bit, goes into the kitchen, makes his cup of coffee, and sitting on the counter, his wife has placed a roast. And immediately the whole day looks brighter, because this is a man who thinks beefologically. <laughs> <laughs> He is excited already. And, he's, and now at breakfast, he's already thinking about dinner. And he's picturing the whole thing. And some of you guys, we can relate, right? He's picturing the cooking in the, in the pot and the whole thing beginning to break down and get all tender. And uh, the, you know, the, the gravy on the mashed potatoes. And by the time he's walking out the door, he is singing the doxology. You know, It's fantastic. <laughs> End of the day. And it's been a long one. And it hasn't gone well in the office. And the traffic is a bear. But it is this expectation of the dinner that is driving him home, right? Arrives, opens the door. It's not the expected tasty aromas that meet him. Instead, there's just a little scent of faint burning hanging in the air. But he's an optimistic guy, so he sits down at the table, knife and fork in hand, and he's hopeful, right? Until the wife comes out, and she puts in front of him this charred, blackened thing. And she says, oh, honey, I'm sorry. I got distracted helping the kids. I know it was a long day for you. I wanted this to be good. And the husband, he looks up at her, and he replies... What do you do all day? You don't even work. What is this? Now tell me. Take a step back and diagnose after spending two or three Sundays on this stuff. What's going on there? Just a guy who's kind of mean? Just a wife who needs to do a little better in the kitchen? (laughs) Or is what happened there, all of this man's unmet expectations are being filtered through the selfishness of an untransformed heart. And it's informing now words and actions. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth, what? And of course, how does she feel at this point, right? Right? Diminished? Devalued? Either hurt or angry? Probably both? Now rewind the tape. Same expectation during the morning. Same long day. Same traffic. Same burnt smell. Same charred mess. Same sad wife with an apology. Except this time. The husband says to her, Honey, for ten years, you have been cooking my meals. You carried my kids. You washed my underwear. You care for me. I love you. And I do not deserve you. And what do we just see there? You saw the kingdom of God touch down. The kingdom of God touch down. Same expectations, but filtered through a heart of humility and selflessness. And of course, how does she feel? Encouraged? Built up? Joyful? Now you've got to spiral up rather than a spiral of just ricocheting off one another down. God opposes the proud, friends. God exalts the humble. God can handle your stuff. Now, we never want to be Christians who just leave these sermons in the sanctuary, right? And especially, I would say, when it comes to the topic of marriage, this stuff, it is far too important to just leave in the sanctuary. And so we're trying to, in parallel with this sermon series... We're trying to have, um, I think, almost all of our co-ed community groups working through a similar study to reinforce and build on these truths called the meaning of marriage. And then at the same time, beginning in October, we're going to be offering a specific nine-week marriage enrichment group that we're calling Reignite. And so, Pastor Don, will you come up and share with us a little bit about what we've been working on? Thanks, Trav. Well, hey, as we were
4: preparing for this uh, sermon series, we wanted to be sure that we were doing everything that we could as a church to strengthen and build up marriages. We wanted to be sure that you guys were leaving here with a next step, and so we're giving you a next step. So in just a few weeks, uh, we are going to be launching to help strengthen and build up your marriage a nine week, limited run community group called Reignite. And we're going to hear a little bit from the leaders, Chris and Kathy Gouley. You should know um, that Kathy is overjoyed to be up here in front of all of you and tells us that her favorite thing in the world is to speak in front of several hundred people. (laughs) So, Chris and Kathy, tell us a little bit about who you are and uh, how you came to be a part of MCC. Sure.
3: Well, Kathy and I um, grew up on the same street in Clifton Park, New York. Our fathers actually commuted to GE together every day and Kathy and I took the school bus uh, to school um, every day from kindergarten through 12th grade. But we didn't date. Uh, It wasn't after um, reconnecting in the Boston area where we both worked um, that we began dating and we are now approaching our 22nd wedding anniversary. We have uh, we have three uh, daughters, ages 20, 17, and 15. And uh, our, all of our kids are actively involved in the youth ministry here, uh, going all the way back to when Don was uh, director of the um, program. And as our kids became more involved here, Kathy and I felt increasingly, increasingly led to come here as well. So we've been... Uh, coming to MCC for almost three years now and re- recently became members this past spring.
4: Awesome. So, so when did Enriching Marriages become something that you guys were passionate about?
2: Um, well, uh, about ten years ago, some good friends of ours um, that we were in Covenant Group with um, asked us if we wanted to be trained on the Prepare and Enrich curriculum and start to mentor engaged couples in the church. So we began to be a part of that ministry in about 2009. Um, what happened was we fell in love with each of the couples that we started to work with, and as we worked through the, the program uh, with each of the couples, we found that our own marriage was strengthened.
4: Awesome. You said your, your own marriage was strengthened through this program. Can, can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Well, Chris and I were married without having any premarital mentoring or instruction. Um, We both came out of very sad, broken home experiences and dysfunctional pasts. Um, We had had issues very early on in our marriage and um, found ourselves in need of counseling in the first year. Um, Thankfully, we both wanted to find solutions to make our marriage work. Um, Chris would say to me very early on, uh, Kathy, we're on the same team. We either both win or we both lose. And um, that became a motto for us and got us through some very tricky times.
3: Yeah, and uh, thankfully we had some good Christian counselors and took some good marriage classes uh, in previous churches we attended. Um, but it was God's grace that uh, our marriage was kept intact. Um, serving as in a marriage mentoring capacity allows us to review the importance of marriage really and it reminds us that we have some great tools available to us who enrich our marriages whether they be conflict resolution or communication skills or financial management um, Kathy and I have found that serving in this capacity has been a big benefit to our marriage uh, and another thing we've learned is that we need to take responsibility for our own happiness um, as we are in a right relationship with God individually. It's not our spouse's job to make us happy.
4: Yeah, so what is your biggest hope for this community group as it launches in October?
2: Um, so our biggest hope is just to encourage other couples in their marriage. Um, we hope that it will be a safe environment where people can be honest and share openly. We also hope that couples will take home some good tools to um, improve their communication and their ability to resolve conflict.
3: Yeah, a lot of times we uh, think we're alone in the issues that we're facing in our, with our spouses, but in fact, many times um, we're facing issues that other couples are grappling with as well.
2: When we were married, we were faced with seemingly insurmountable problems. We want other couples who feel the same way to know that there's hope and that with God all things are possible. Um, We felt like the issues facing us were bigger than anything we could ever solve on our own, and they were, but um, God was faithful, and He'll be faithful to others too.
4: Awesome.
3: For joining us for today's message, Medway Community Church would love to welcome you as our guest one day soon. Our church family meets every Sunday morning for worship, and also offers a wide variety of small group and ministry opportunities. To learn more, please visit us on the web at medwaycommunitychurch.org. We look forward to seeing you soon. Washing all my shame.